All right, there we go. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the A4G podcast. And today we are on a Skype call with Mr. David Evans, who is the developer of The Veil. His company, Falling Squirrel, is making it. Welcome to the podcast, David. Oh, thank you, Riley. No problem. Thanks for coming on. So first of all, I got to ask, how did you come up with that company name? Because that is really cool. I like it. <laughs> Oh my gosh! It is baggage from a, of another life. Really? <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah. When I was a, a kid, basically a kid, uh, I made a documentary or mockumentary that involved uh, uh, kids uh, who are working for a city department that chased squirrels up trees and got them to jump out of the tree, and they caught them <laughs> in in bags, and they tried to make an Olympic sport out of it. It was oh we God. never used any real squirrels or anything. It was all all good, but mm-hmm. uh, and it was uh, it it created my. Um, my company name for my film film company, Falling Squirrel, and then when I shift from uh, film to games, I just kept it, and I can't get that rid of it. That is funny. I love it. That's okay, good. thank you. That's why I can't I get rid admit, of it. Apparently, I, I got to admit that's pretty darn original. I love that's that. That's good. <laughs> so the veil. Now, for those who don't know, I'm going to let you explain the premise to the veil and what actually got you started in making this particular game. Yeah, sure. The veil is a is an audio based um, action. Um, adventure game uh, with some um, role-playing elements and it's uh, basically set in a medieval setting you play uh, a princess um, who's a second in line to the throne and she's um, been sort of relegated to, to go lord over some castle 500 miles from her, her home kingdom and on the way there uh, a big barbarian horde sweeps across the land and she's separated from her people and she has to basically make her her way back home uh, and she's blind uh, as a character so um, she does this with her wiles her, her combat skills um, and help with some NPCs along the way and uh, essentially we wanted to, to make a game that took advantage of um, an audio-based game that took advantage of, of noisy settings, so that's sort of why we picked the medieval fantasy setting, and it's kind of like a, uh, a world I like to work in um, with, with the games I make. Um, and uh, yeah, originally the game was conceived as a way for me as a writer to, to fairly inexpensively uh, make a bigger story, uh, make a, a bigger game world um, using um, all audio. Um, and it also played to the to the sensibilities of what I was good at, which was directing actors and voiceover. That was because of my life as a filmmaker. Um, and uh, I'm not an artist. So that's where it started. Yeah, well, we both actually streamed it. He did the original demo. And then when I moved up here, I moved actually from Ohio to Minnesota to live with him. Oh, cool. And it's funny because he's like, you know, we should have you do the Veil demo this time because I've already done it, and they probably want to hear it from your perspective, which is on his channel, Illegally Cited. Yep. I actually did a stream of it, which I actually fell in love with the game. I cannot wait for it to come out. Yeah. Oh, great, cool. And um, but what happened was we were doing the the one quest where there's the horse, and I mm-hmm. had to tell you this story because it was funny. I'm sitting there, somebody's in the stream. What are you guys streaming? So I'm sitting there, and I'm concentrate and then I said yeah we're streaming the veil all of a sudden I hear the character go like like shushing me and I'm like oh I'm like hang on a minute and she's like be quiet and I'm like oh okay they're not talking to me they're talking to Alex (laughs) that's hilarious yeah and uh, and that was the thing is I was like well I did the original stream myself 
and I was like, you know, I don't know if that updated, uh, if the updated demo that you guys had released, what was it in like September? I think it was. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be different or much different. Um, cause I think when I played it, I don't think you had gamepad support in at the, on the, during the first one. And so I was actually surprised cause we were kind of playing around with another accessible game at the time. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, gamepad support. Cool. Actually, this would be a fun way to play it. Um, so we tested that out too, or she did. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. Like we, we've been, um, like our development has been pretty, um, I mean, it's indie, but it's, uh, it's been very community focused. So I don't like my, my demos aren't terribly polished. I, I don't often know exactly how stable they are and what they have. Um, but, um, I, I just like to get new versions of uh, elements of gameplay, um, out, out to the groups of people that are playing it. Um, with the caveat that says like, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, at a stage where I'm testing this heavily, but I get to know a little bit about, you know, s- systems and, and what's working, what isn't. So, uh, mm-hmm. it's not surprising. I, I wouldn't even know specifically, um, uh, like we haven't kept detailed records yet of, of, um, of the different builds and stuff. Cause yeah. this is, again, this is really early. Like you're, um, probably, uh, well, we, I think things have gone out to, to, to industry just to get a taste of the game, the demo, but in terms of people playing larger runs at the game, um, this is very early stages, so. Okay. We, yeah, we, I mean, we haven't had any problem running it uh, oh, no. either time on the system. It's just run perfectly, so. Okay, cool. It's been great, yeah. One of the things that I really liked, actually, is um, I like her father. Like, the, the characters that you have in the game, I, I like a lot of the characters that we've seen so far in the demo, mm-hmm. but I really like... I really liked kind of her father and just his whole attitude on like, you know, hey, you know, just because you're blind doesn't mean you're going to be treated any differently. You mean her uncle? No, uncle, uncle, (laughs) yeah, her uncle character. Her father figure. I haven't haven't been properly caffeinated apparently (laughs) or something, so God only knows. I can't even say it's morning. He is so cool. I I love that guy. Yeah. And her, oh God, her brother killed me on that dang archery demo. I I had to play that at the end. I love that demo. That tutorial there that cracks me up every time <laughs> that tutorial gets me every time i i can't tell them what happens because they have to see the stream yeah it's, yeah it's it like is one, funny that's also a trick when you're developing a game you want to put some of the things in it that are going to be surprises and fun but once it's in the demo it's uh for a large group of people who are a the most into the game that's going to be spoiled for them for when they play the final game so right. I, mm-hmm. I i've actually quite intentionally kept the order a little bit off um in fact that horse scene um where you you go and corral the horse mm-hmm. that scene actually happens a little bit later in in the actual game there's another um th- uh scene that's uh or a scenario that's much more character building between the shepherd and the uh and alex which mm-hmm. i've removed mainly so that people coming to the game uh when it's fully finished can experience that um, because it's an important scene to sort of experience fresh, I think. So I've done a little bit of moving around some scenes um, for that purpose, but that that's one of the ones I've left in the um, because I think it's the only way to teach bow, um, bow training. I didn't want to make a whole special scene just for the demo, so I kind of put what's going to be in the game, which has a, a nice little humorous reveal in it. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and I'm not giving it away. No. It's funny. Yeah. Oh, thank it. you. <laughs> it was good. He played it, and then I'm like, I've got to find it. So I, just because I wanted to do it and it was just, oh God, I laughed so hard. It just killed me. Cool. 
Loved it. And like I said, we absolutely love it. We can't wait for the full project to come out. I mean, we're excited for it. Yeah, it's um, uh, I'm I'm in sort of a uh, uh, just sort of get put put my head down and and work on it mode. I just came off of uh, uh, going to conferences. Went to a big conference in Banff um, uh, mm-hmm. to show the game, and it was really well received. I think something that I'm becoming aware of, and it's probably pretty important for the success of the game or doing games like this, is that I forget that it's novel for for most sighted gamers. Um, like I know of all the games out there, the audio based games, um, and some of them are pretty good. And, uh, and certainly we're just trying to bring ourselves to that bar and then add probably a lot more story than those games have had. Um, and, uh, I forget that some people play this game. They've never, they've just never played anything like it. They've never even experienced binaural audio. So, um, I, I got to remember that that's, um, I will sort of nod and say, yes, this is completely new and people get all excited about it uh, but I usually eventually have to come uh, come clean and say hey this has been done before but we're just trying to do it really well and carefully and that you guys are really doing fantastic with it you guys when when the army comes in oh my word I felt like I was there I mean it was like cool. whoa now, when, yeah. you are, when you're developing, are, are you kind of, as you're in development, are you kind of uh, gearing it more toward, like, I guess when you were conceiving this project, like, were you kind of designing, a, like, oh, let's make a, you know, make an audio game um, with the visually impaired community in mind? Mm-hmm. Or was it or was it more of like, let's see if we can make an audio game. Let's see if we can, you know, make something different that, uh, like, mainstream um, audiences would uh, would enjoy that just so happens to also be accessible because one of the complaints that mm-hmm. we often get from like you know people in the blindness community let's say is like a lot of the audio games when you compare them to like a mainstream title they're a little bit more simplistic you know because they don't have the budget and the resources yeah um, but they you know they they want something more meaty to you know especially like this you know more story or more game mechanics to kind of sink their you know sink their teeth into something like that yeah i i think it's it's um it's evolved uh, it, it definitely started before i did any real work as i wanted to do something um big in terms of world on a, on a budget and and playing to my strengths so i i started without i mean i think in the back of my mind the visually impaired community was there because i knew well i might as well make this completely accessible i'm not going to have inaccessible menus and then have a game that's based around audio that would make very little sense um but very quickly once i started developing it it's one of the first people i reached groups i reached out to is the cnib the canadian national institute for the blind uh in canada um to just see what their interest was if there's anybody interested in in getting a group together to help focus testing. And then of course the response was, was incredibly positive. Um, and I got um, uh, set up with um, a, now a friend of mine who um, is not at the CNIB anymore, but he's, he's an advocate, um, blind, blind from birth, a big uh, avid gamer. Um, and, uh, and he's been with us from the very beginning, probably three and a half, four years ago is probably when I had that meeting. Um, but we didn't get funding right away. It was kind of on the back burner, but I was working with, um, bringing this to focus test at places. Um, so the blind community has been there from the beginning. Uh, but one thing I realized right from the beginning, which also pushed my, my, uh, interests back into the broad, the general public was that, um, 
this community is is not i mean i shouldn't have been surprised but it's not a monolith it's like there's so many different people in terms of exposure to video games um their their tastes in video games so i wasn't going to be able to as you usually do when you make a game have a very clear idea of this of this this player you're making this for this focused um idea of of making a game for like a tactics rpg um, community or something. This is like if I'm making something for the blind community or that's accessible to the blind community, I have to accept that that's a very broad community, which made me realize, well, then, you know, I, I'm broadening back open to the sighted community as well, for sure, because there's going to be people in this community who are huge into Twitch games, do very difficult things with video games. They speed run Zelda and they, um, they're playing fighting games. Um, uh, that are not meant to be accessible. Uh, and then they're playing games like Swamp, uh, like these mods that are like like really, really hard. Like I can't, I can't play them. Um, <laughs> and at the same time, there's people like, oh my gosh, I never thought a video game could be for me. Um, and how do you hold a controller? And you know, like, um, so it's, uh, I'm trying to straddle that. And, and as I'm attempting to do that, I'm realizing um, I'm gonna do my best to make a game that, um, is novel for for people in the, the sighted community who just are not don't know anything about audio games um and then at the same time uh try to make a game that's both uh challenging enough for people that are looking for challenge and looking for more sophistication in audio games at the same time pull people along who who just want to play a game for the first time uh which and at the end of the day it's difficulty settings <laughs> i think that's that's my what i'm gonna have to do is really make sophisticated difficulty settings where the game can be basically played as a, a story adventure with a little bit of combat uh, and some exploration with a lot of sort of like handholding, um, or you turn all that stuff off and you do a sort of more hardcore mode where it's very twitchy and you have to recognize patterns and stuff like that in combat. There you go. That's nice. Fascinating. That that's awesome. I love nice. It. I love it. Because yeah, because the veil was actually the second one I ever played. I never played. Seriously, an Xbox controller used it on a PC or nothing. So mm -hmm. you did a heck of a job with the demo because I right away he just said, "Here you go, have at it." And mm -hmm. I that's all he did. He didn't give me any because I already knew the but the, basically the bumpers and the triggers, so I knew yeah. what I was doing there, and then I knew you know A and B and all that stuff. So I knew what I was doing, and all he did was said, "Here you go, it's loaded, have at it." And I was able to play right through it. Now, I did have a few ish issues because, of course, I do have some hearing loss in the right ear. So I was oh. having some issues at the beginning <laughs> where the um, where she was trying to find that person that she was going to whip with the cane. <laughs> yep. I did have some issues trying to locate the sound effects. Mm. But I did, I was able to finally find it. But Yeah, and th that's something we're, we're thinking of, of addressing, too. Not, not just people have uh, potential, like, uh, hearing hearing loss or something, uh, but also some people hear binaural audio very differently than others. It's uh, it's very reliant on your head shape and your ear arrangement and things. So some mm -hmm. people don't hear directionality quite as precisely as others. Um, mm -hmm. And also, I mean, generally, uh, people who are in the visually impaired community play it uh, get to locations a lot quicker. And people in the sighted community, especially especially people who are used to certain game conventions, control conventions, for example, on a controller. Like I'm using tank controls for, for reasons that should become obvious once you've played the game, but it's not the standard controls you usually see. Right. Um, it, and so a, a lot of people from the sighted community, uh, the, 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 um, 
pickup of direct getting the directions right is a little bit slower. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking of having certain things that at least you can maybe um, turn on in a menu that will allow for for easier navigation. Um, but I've, I've been doing a lot of testing and people tend not to get stuck stuck, but that's my nightmare, right? That somebody would not play the game because they just can't find the stupid kid behind the wheel or the, <laughs> the water wheel or whatever. Um, right. So are you thinking about doing like uh, you said, you like a more guided experience, kind of a simplified experience and then more of like a open like, oh, OK, this is the more kind of advanced control mode. Are you thinking about like your typical because I I'm legally blind. I'm I'm low vision. So mm -hmm. I can play primarily a lot of uh, mainstream games as well visually. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But so, yeah, like I know exactly what you mean. Like I'm used to the dual analog stick move with the left strafe, you know, yeah. and then turn with the right. Yeah, uh, you know that kind of a thing as an which, option. Which is, by the way, why I currently have particles in in the scenes too. Um, it's uh, it's meant via. It's really just a crutch for sighted people who are used to different control schemes. For for whatever reason, most people who aren't used to those control schemes tend to to listen more carefully. It says turn on the spot to uh, left and right, turn on the spot and and. Uh, forward and backwards to move forward and backwards and, and strafing never comes into it and they just accept that but anybody again who's used to a first person shooter um, I have the particles on the screen so they can see the way the movement's working and then at that point once you understand that you can close your eyes and, and play the game uh, but um, uh, yeah so there's there's some sleight of hand I'm using there so the question for me is in the tutorial not the tutorial but the, the first time you're you're exposed to movement and locating an object do i do a little bit more hand holding within the world the game world so do i have your brother say he's just to the right or just to the left or you're turned around and, and maybe make sort of a more sophisticated um contextually based moment that would totally make sense if you're lost as a character and you have your brother helping you it, it, you wouldn't question it you wouldn't feel like you'd feel like it's it's not the game beating you over the head with something right and then yeah. once you understand that i'm hoping that'll fade away and i won't need that as much but do the big question is do i need a system that allows you to for example hit one of the face buttons or hit a button on the keyboard that that sets uh, um some sort of like uh not not a radar thing, but just something that allows maybe the character to call out and get some feedback from their companion um, if they are absolutely stuck. Uh, so far, uh, most people don't get stuck stuck, but it happens every once in a while. And then when I'm demoing it, I come in and I sort of help them out. But often it's because people got to go. Like I'm I'm demoing it for for let's say a, a writer who's got to go and talk to somebody else. So the real question is when I get into the hands, I haven't heard, I got having a lot of feedback, negative feedback about that yet. Um, so I'm assuming it might be fine, but that's the big question. Are people playing the game at home and, and being stuck in these situations for 10 minutes? And that and would I be a concern. I think in a situation like that, a lot of like, even a lot of visual games, like a lot of, you know, open world or adventure, anything like that, you know, a lot of those, you have a button that you can hit. You don't have to use it if you don't want to, but, like, you can hit a thing and go, oh, okay, you, you ping something and there's your objective marker. Yeah. That yeah. you go to. So I think even having the option to have that, they can use it if they want to. Yep. And that's and that's probably, they... that's a layer, and it's and it's an expense in terms of, like, me having to take the time to do it. So I'm really going to, sure. um, as, as I sort of have, like, a, um, a, what do you call best practice where I don't ever really add a feature until I, I know I need it. So I'm sitting on this one to see how, how important it is uh, for people's game experiences. 
Um, and that's why I want feedback. That's why I've been working again with the CNIB and focus testing. And I have, uh, there's a, a website called all audio games or sorry, audiogames.net, uh, which is a, a repository of audio games that are, are mostly accessed uh, by the blind community. And there's a lot of um, forums and stuff there. And, mm -hmm. and there's a good 200 people that have played, oh, sorry, but a hundred people um, have played and sent me in uh, comments about their play experiences um, so that's really what I'm relying on um, quite heavily at this point to, to make sure that this is uh, this works. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't I mean, I wasn't stuck that long, but I, I was like, uh, where am I going here? You know, because mm -hmm. I, I mean, it wasn't that bad. But once I was able to another game has actually assisted me with tuning in because basically, like I said, it actually helped me fine tune my hearing for mm -hmm. games like this. And I was maybe stuck three minutes, maybe four tops. Yeah. And I guess the real question is, do you get stuck a lot? Nope. <laughs> In other words, nope. do you understand it and go, oh, I kind of understand this now and you get better? Because that's, yeah. that's sort of a progression I'm not familiar with, right? Like it's yeah. – uh, I've been making games for uh, – even though I, I started in film, but I've been making games for now for about 10 years. And uh, you can just you, – you know, you can see it. You can, you can test out what people understand. Um, you can watch the experience most of the time. You can look over people's shoulders and understand what they're doing. And it's a little bit more literally a black box where I, I'm, I'm having to – I can listen in, by the way. I've got a setup when I demo where I can listen into what they're doing. Uh, but it's a little bit hard to know exactly what they're thinking and, and where they're getting stuck and how they're getting stuck. And then ultimately, there's that thing that happens. I don't know how much experience you guys have with watching games being demoed or demoing games. Um, but uh, there's always this weird experience where you know the person playing, if you're there, is a little bit more apprehensive because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm in front of the developer and they think I'm stupid. And then I'm like, oh, and I'm watching oh, yes. them and going, oh my gosh, it, my, I made it too hard, my design's crap. Yeah, so I, we're both kind of like panicking. But then you think of, I don't know what games you've played, but I played a game called Ico, um, which is a precursor to Shadow of the Colossus. And it oh, was, yeah. I, I got a little bit of it. I got stuck all the time on puzzles in that game. And I just, I wasn't, I didn't, it didn't bother me. It took me maybe 10 minutes to get a puzzle. And then you feel there's a satisfaction like, oh, I got it. Great. I'm, I'm not stupid. And uh, every once in a while, you got to go online. You know, it's not ideal, but you, you got to, I mean, people accept these uh, oh, absolutely. things all the time. And, and again, as a developer, I've got to remember that even though this is quite different, it, maybe the same rules still apply that it's it's maybe not poor design maybe that challenge or you being lost for three minutes gave you a better sense of satisfaction and that's yep. really what i gotta figure out are people enjoying this or mm -hmm. are they feeling lost and and stupid or or lost and and anxious in a in a scenario they shouldn't feel that way yeah i mean and going into the town that was that was interesting trying to get you know finding where i was going got that down i mean once cool. i figured it out i got it down pretty quickly but talking about playing games in front of developers, I was streaming one day, and I, I knew I had invited the developer. Mm -hmm. I, the recent game that you've heard about, Sequence Storm, mm -hmm. it's, that menu has that game has so much accessibility, it's not funny. And I invited the developer, Daniel, to come in and watch the stream. Okay, so this is the day before. I sent him a message on Twitter. I said, "Hey, I'm going to be streaming this tomorrow, and I'm going to be doing a challenge because." You know, we were talking about accessibility versus difficulty modes and stuff like that. So we did we did that we did that uh, podcast that day on here on A4G. Well, then right after A4G was done and I uploaded the podcast, I went on and I played Sequence Storm for a straight two hours. 
Well, mm-hmm. about 20 some minutes in, Jesse all of a sudden goes, Riley, guess who's in here? <laughs> like that. And I was like, uh, Steve, which is my bestie. You know, he's, he's one of my best guy friends that brought me all the way up here. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no. And I'm like, oh, God. You mean Daniel? He goes, yeah. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure whatsoever. <laughs> you know, and I mean, and I was joking around because I was just teasing him on the on the stream. I was teasing the developer just a few seconds prior to him coming in. Unless right. he heard it. And it was basically like, it's like, is he behind me moment? Or like, yeah. Yep, yep. Yes. And I was like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> well, it's funny. I just I realized I said something kind of silly here because uh, um, I was talking about the apprehension you get on a, on like a show floor. But, yes, yeah, streaming is the ultimate uh, sort of anxiety inducing thing where if a developer's watching your stream and you're not getting it you're thinking oh my gosh hundreds of people are seeing this yeah and then if you're playing and you can't advance the story or get to the thing you want live then that must be nerve-wracking for you so yeah yeah Yeah. i mean there's been a lot of times where i'll be playing a stream and go i'm like i'll overlook something stupid in 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 a game in an environment i'm like i know i'm missing something incredibly dumb and i've gone by this same thing like six times uh, but yeah, I mean, it, ha- I mean, it happens to everybody though. Like it is very common. Yeah. Hey, and... I, I got a, I got a question for you guys. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and again, if this is too behind the curtain, let me know, but, yeah, um, how, how often do you guys pre-play a game because you kind of want to make that, um, expose, exposing it to your, to your viewers relatively smooth versus getting like a super genuine reaction where you're like, ah, I, I got to play it for the first time live. It just to really, get that. yeah, excellent question. It get, uh, it really depends. It depends on how comfortable I think I am mm-hmm. with the game, as far as like figuring out the mechanics or the systems, or just being able to see something. Because as a low vision gamer, like I said, I play a lot of games. You know, um, working on the Outer Worlds right now, working on mm. um, Jedi. You know, probably Jedi: The Fallen Order pretty soon. Yeah, um, things like that. Where you know. I love the way the game, the way that some of these games look, but at the same time, the more visual fidelity there is, the easier it is to miss something, even in a pretty linear thing. To where, like, you know, sometimes it's really happy or really, uh, really nice having things in a game. Um, you know, like let's say Red Faction Guerrilla or Saints Row the Third or Forty, like we have the in-game glowy, uh, you know, like the gl- kind of not a mini map, but like a glowy area kind of pointing you or, you know, like the fable game, something like mm-hmm. that. But yeah, I mean, there are times where like, if the game is really complex, I'll at least uh, like to get the general mechanics, especially when there's a recent trend lately of, I, I don't know if the developers are in a race or what it is, but like, everyone's like, let's see how tiny we can make the UI. Let's see how tiny we can make the text for the tutorials and stuff. And it drives me nuts. Yeah. I've been really noticing that in, in PC, mainly because I've been console for so long. And then I've been playing a lot more games for research on PC. And uh-huh. I'm amazed at what, like I always, I, I mean, I naturally put big, <laughs> you know, I realize it almost gets ridiculous how big some of my menus are in certain games. Uh, and then people, that, people almost for style reasons kind of shrink them down a bit. But I, I've been playing RPGs that have a lot of data on the, on the screen. But I, some of it is getting, uh, like I wear glasses now, but um, like right. I, can't, I can't see them at all. 
Yeah, I mean, I like to play, like I mentioned, you know, things like Borderlands or things like um, The Outer Worlds, things like that. And I love it, but the part that I absolutely kind of get to dread is I get to spend, you know, double, triple the time that everyone else does in one of the uh, menus and, you know, skill tree screens or comparing weapons and stuff because you got these little hover over pop ups that are really hard to see and you got to think of creative ways to. Yeah be able to read them and stuff. And so, like I said, my, my ultimate goal or my ultimate wish is some games are starting to, for like main menus and options menus and stuff, include text-to-speech mm-hmm. uh, or things like that. But once they start getting that into the in-game UI, you know, a.k.a. tutorials and uh, skill trees and things, like that's when I'm going to get super excited. Yeah, I'm, I've been really into this uh, recently. This idea that uh, the idea of disability is this—it's not like a thing. It's not like an uncommon thing. <laughs> it's like no. people at certain periods of their life. Like I, I am losing my eyesight. Like, like it's—I need glasses now, right? Mm-hmm. So if I don't have my glasses with me, if, if people are designing for a certain standard that just makes it easier for you know a, a certain group of people to read something or whatever. It's not going to hurt a lot of other people who are also no. having issues with stuff. Because you don't, you don't even have to use those options if you don't want to. Exactly. So uh, f- for me, like, um, I, I also, I also think there's probably something going on with developers probably using their screens are really nice now, <laughs> and and they're huge and they're in front of them and they, um, they're not even seeing this as a problem. But I think uh, that design that you're not necessarily having to roll back and do a pass for specific. Um, reasons that you're actually um, just always thinking of that first, um, and it just becomes part of your best best practices when you when you go and make a game in terms of how much screen real estate tech should be taking up, um, and uh, and also it translates for for other device use. Like, how, do I know how big your screen is? I don't know. Do I know mm-hmm. that 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 a game, especially with like Stadia or something, it's like, are you gonna be playing this game on mobile? Or are you gonna be switching over to like a giant screen? I don't. So it's it seems to me like these are going to to pull everything hopefully in into a spot where yeah. um, that design becomes much more streamlined and 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 accessible by default. Um, hopefully, um, that's and even even my my game where um, obviously text to speech is something. Uh, or screen readers, sorry, um, is something that uh, that makes things accessible um, when you you access that. Um, but for me, I'm thinking, well, gosh, I mean, I, I don't know that I'll make a, a game that doesn't have uh, a lot more sound feedback that's that's in game. Um, like obviously, all mine is like when when you when you're not getting a robot reading the speech, you're getting an actor reading reading those lines. Um, and I, I'm like, gosh, could this be a, an option I can turn on with any of my games? Um, assuming that somebody doesn't have a, a screen reader, um, uh, so so it'll just be an option like like anything else, like adding bigger text or colorblind mode or or something like that. And as far as I go, when it comes to trying things out beforehand, actually I do not. I'm the total <laughs> opposite of Jesse because I've never played anything mainstream. The Veil was actually the second game I ever played that was even remotely close. Okay, and I both games. He's like, he showed me basically the triggers and the bumpers for sequence storm. That's all he showed me. And he says, here you go. You basically, and he showed me the, you know, the face buttons. And then of course the D pad, if I needed it for something. Mm-hmm. And then he showed me basically the, the sticks. Here you go. This is what you usually use them for. And, and from a developer, 
yeah, that's the bad from a developer standpoint. That's the way I want to see people play it because I, I you know, your first your first impression is is important, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So so I um and by the way um the the reason I mean I I think I would have always wanted to have um, a controller support like I would have wanted to make a controller game because of the haptic feedback I just that's another big thing that um, we we I can utilize to give people more um, uh, a deeper experience in terms of what's happening when I don't have visuals sure. um, but the the main reason I pushed it forward quite quite far because my, my concern was um oh the, there's many people in the in the blind community that that are using uh, keyboards probably not the mouse and um are not using controllers um but it was my the advocate i have um or my consultant um martin Cursells, who said uh no I, I want to put these this hardware in as me, in the hands of as many people in my community as possible because the the more use we get to these these things it's going to potentially remove a barrier we have to experiencing this and it will it will make developers even if we're using this technology developers start thinking about the fact that we're using this um so yeah. it's really really important that he wanted at first i thought are we gonna be sales people are we sales people for the the uh the the um the control pad companies or something because he's like i want people to buy control pads i want people to use these things and uh he's like no no I, i'm doing this because i want i want people to experience this this interface and this is what he does by the way so he's really into the idea of getting hardware and technology in the hands of people who can then exploit it to do cool things and and become more part of of uh of the broader public uh and the way they interact with stuff yeah, it was it was really good. I felt like I was there. Like when she, the one time when she actually went into the river, I was like, whoa, whoa, what? Because I the first the one time I seriously thought she slipped, and I was like, whoa, you know, because you can feel the different vibrations and stuff like that when something's coming at her. Oh or right, yep. And I was like, oh god, because and somebody asked me one time. Why do you say Al when a video game character gets hurt? And I'm like, well, <laughs> would you say Al if it hurt you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's role on. playing, right? It's, it's yeah. good. Yeah. Got to get into it. Yeah. Because I was like, hearing them arrows, I'm like, ow, ow. Okay. That's not have, good. Somebody's going to get hurt. Have you played the game on the keyboard? Uh, No. I didn't okay. play it on the keyboard. Did, okay. I think so, I did. I did because I don't think gamepad support was in the early build that I played originally. Okay. It, it probably should have been. <laughs> but, oh, but gosh, well, gosh I don't know. Maybe, maybe I didn't have it hooked up. or yeah. It was, I don't remember when you had the first build out, but I took, I'd taken a look at it quite a while ago. Okay. And I, and I didn't know all of it. The, the, the place where I seen it, because I was eating supper the first time Jesse played it. So I basically was going in fresh. I had no idea what I was in for, except for the very end. I knew about the town part. Mm -hmm. So that's the only part I knew. And I didn't know all, I knew the one quest. I don't think I, yeah, I knew two of the quests. I didn't see the other one because I don't think he played the other one. But if he did, he, I missed it. But basically, I go in and I have no idea what I'm getting into, you know. And so I went in and I, re I have to say I really enjoyed it. I would oh, definitely play it when it comes out. I'm definitely playing it when it comes out. No, it's cool. Then, it, it, did you sorry, go question? ahead. Oh, do I? Oh, I just wondered if you had another question. No, no, no. I was good. I was, I was, um, uh, I was trying to accept praise, which is not always. <laughs> <good>. <laughs> <But> thank you. <laughs> that was my, that was my attempt. 
What are you doing, Tom? Okay. It was connecting there. I was like, what is it doing? Anyway, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was it was a boatload of fun. And to you know, to have an audio game where there's more than just spinning around in circles and shooting at stuff or spinning around in circles and getting yourself dizzy. I mean, hey, I like it. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, this has been probably the most fun I've had uh, developing, uh, mainly because I can um, I can really pick up ideas and just try stuff with them. Mm-hmm. Um, without that, uh, again, in, in in any kind of development where there's a, a huge um, amount of resources dedicated to things like characters and 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 locations, um, it's really difficult to kind of on a whim add something like if I want to add a dog, which there will be a dog in this game. Um, I got to, I got to model a dog. We got to rig a dog. We got to figure out how the path, like pathfinding for the dog or AI for the dog. Like there's just so much work that goes into adding a dog. Um, Mm -hmm. And I can get just as much um, dog relevant narrative moments or, or potentially combat moments. If I, if I figure out a way to work the dog into that Um, in, in this, um, so quickly and inexpensively, like it's uh, it's something that's been incredibly freeing as a writer and a, and a designer and a world. Like when I'm building a world, I can kind of just try stuff out. Um, and uh, and the other nice thing is because um, uh, like every like all the, the there's so many little things in in games. Um, even when you're you're working at the absolute bat, like if you're working with a huge team and millions of dollars to, to make a game, there's still little things that take you out of the experience that we just haven't totally figured out yet. Like fa- facial effects is not perfect yet. Um, hair is not perfect yet. Um, and all these things that in live action, like that's a real person, so you're going to believe it. And it's now on the performance. All I have to worry about really is the performance from the actors to whether or not you believe the moment because mm-hmm. you picture a fully formed person there. Um, and to me, that allows me to maintain immersion um, and uh, and not have any of these things that can potentially distract from those moments um, that would cost me a lot of money to try to fix. Um, so for me, it's, I, I'm really trying to encourage more developers to, to try this out, maybe take some of their existing games or things that they're working on and and make all audio versions or audio based versions of them for one to to move more content towards um uh you know a a group of people that that are kind of cut off uh, from from mainstream games um but at the same time experience a little bit of the freeing design and development stuff you get to have experience as a developer uh in trying stuff um and then and then i probably will go back i'm already i'm planning to go back and 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 make games with visuals but but hopefully pulling forward all the stuff i've learned here and creating an accessible game that happens to have visuals and and then an audio version or audio mechanics that allow uh, other people to play it yeah, and that, that's actually fantastic to hear because that's the thing. Um, you know, I, I know we mentioned Sequence Storm again, but that's, you know, it's primarily designed to be a visual game. It's a totally mm-hmm. mainstream game that you can buy on Steam. And he's basically just adapted a mode. Like, you know, it's it's the same game. It's the same mode. A little bit of the gameplay mechanics are a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but largely, you know, it's, it's, it's like, hey, you know what? They, we can, you know, a visually impaired or blind 
uh, gamer, they can play the same thing. And that, that's awesome. And we're starting to see that a lot more in the last year yeah. or year or two. Yeah. And it's going to, it's going to be certain games are going to work better than others. And this is one sure. that's an example of a game where the, 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 you know, it did not take as much, um, uh, to, to sort of make something accessible, um, with that game. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, I, I do see there's a good chunk and maybe, 20 30 percent of the games i see i'm like wow yeah you we could do that um you'd have to like sort of insert a little you know different combat would have to look work a little differently or you'd have to have these sort of additions um but the thing that probably i i look at the with the most interest is is narrative heavy stuff where it's like if first of all if it's text-based it's like okay well a screen reader (laughs) could could give you all that information um and it's probably just as personal and 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 involving as reading it potentially, and then mm-hmm. um, especially actually by the way, as screen readers get better too, that's going to be uh, a huge thing. The technology is going to um, robot voice is going to sound not so roboty um, in the oh, near future. Yeah. Exactly, I mean, it's already getting better, um, but like that's oh, the yeah. kind of stuff. Like that's like uh, maybe I don't have to have an actor voice my menus because I'm going to have this amazing you know br- British woman come in and <laughs> and say all my menus for <laughs> yes. me. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, a robot. Like Windows narrator voices, even like Alex for iOS, those voices yeah. are actually pretty human sounding. And the advantage that you get with text to speech is, you know, you mentioned from kind of a financial standpoint, you know, it's like if you update the game, you make new features, you change things, you reorder things. Oh, you have something that's not spoken by a voice actor. You know, if it's tagged or if it's text, you know, then you don't have to worry. The screen reader can just handle it. Whereas yeah. you would have to actually get a voice actor in in order to redo those extra lines or whatever, if you added something. Yeah. And there, right now we're, I'm de- working on a game uh, where my uh, uh, programmer, the, the engineer of the whole thing really, and producer, uh, he's written a system that basically allows me to uh, write the game in a twine-like sort of interface and entwines that kind of like choose your own adventure sort of style uh, mm-hmm. interface for, for writing stuff in case for those who aren't familiar with that. So I just basically write it. Um, and then immediately it gets immediately generated into um, robot voice um, and then placed and timed out and laid out in the game. So you're, you're triggering all these moments with people talking. Now, the game is a first person. It's, it's very much like Firewatch. It's a first person game where, oh, the, other, where the other main character is, um, is not present in the room with you. So I don't have to worry about animation and these sorts of things. So we can, we can just build a game very quickly, get it paced out. Um, you know, if it was text, you'd have to read it and it's not going to be the final experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's amazing. Like, it's amazing how quickly I can just write adjustments to the flow of the game or the narrative. Uh, and then you just push a button and it just generates all that stuff. So it's all under the hood now. And then again, if that got way better... I could approximate a pretty good experience, even maybe even emotionally to some extent. Uh, and then at the very end, I come in with the actors and I said, okay, let's fill this in. Let's, uh, because I've done all the kind of workshopping with the narrative in, in, that, uh, in that system form. Uh, and by the way, I don't want to take too much away from what you get with a, an actual human being as an actor. Um, once I get them in, in the recording studio, there's a lot that develops out of that. I change lines. Um, and ultimately I, I come back and do re-record. So I'll put their voices in and I'll listen to it. And then I'll be, I, I mean, there's a whole character in this game. Um, have you, have you talked in the village? Have you talked to the, uh, the, uh, merchant, yes. the, the, yes. the co- guy with the cockney accent? Yes. Okay. Yes. Like that he guy. Was <laughs> so good. 
in this as an actor. He, by the way, plays the uncle too, which is hilarious. He plays, I thought so. He plays. So. Okay, oh, hey, you're like the you'd be the first say, person. I recognize that voice. I'm like, wait a minute, that's the same dude. <laughs> yeah. So he plays the uncle and this and this character, and I love this character so much. Or his version, not really my version of the character. My version of the character is pretty standard, but I loved his version of the character so much. I wrote an entire character. He he comes back in the game. Uh, and he's a major character that you you travel with at some point. And Excellent. I did this because awesome. of the actor. So the robot voice feedback wouldn't have given me that. Um, but I still think there's room to develop with it for long stretches of, of game development. Uh, but I, I do tend to bring actors in in pieces so that I can get inspired by their performances. And that's an upcoming game that you're working on as well? Yeah, we're in early early development. We have an, it's not an announced title and it's okay. really this is like a um uh, like a skunk works type thing where we're, we're making a prototype um in canada there's there's grant opportunities and funding for for uh, pr early prototype work so that's where this is right now and we're basically looking to get some funding to to move on and start working on it but it's it's going to be like uh and i think a lot of the games i'm going to be doing with with this company in particular um it's they're called creative bites i'm falling squirrel they're creative bites um their their uh, senior um, programmer is the programmer for the Veil. He's he's working for me as Falling Squirrel, and then I'm their writer and uh, designer on their games. Oh, cool! So nice. um, this is sort of what happens in these these cool little scenarios, and uh, they happen everywhere, I'm sure. Um, but you know, in, in around Toronto, there's developers. Um, we all have we know each other, and we end up working on each other's um, stuff. And it just makes things, it stabilizes the industry, right? Like you, you, uh, you, you know, you're not all having to look for your own jobs. Everybody's looking for work. And then when you get something, you inevitably, inevitably bring other people on um, to help you make, make games. So that's what, that's what the indie scene, at least for me, is like. I work on a lot of other people's projects. So this one I'm quite active in in working on with this other company and and again we, we know we've been talking about it like we might even make accessibility a, a main um uh a main thing for the the funding and getting funding for the game potentially like um but at the very least it's it's narrative driven so it has i think it has the potential to be one of those games that's easy to convert or easy to add some features and stuff to to make it accessible so i don't see any reason why i would keep doing that nice well, you got A4G on your side for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, awesome. We, we both, you guys can count us in. We would be glad to stream it, test it, anything you needed. Yep. We would help Falling Squirrel yep. out. We'd help that other team, that other company out. If they wanted us to, we'd be glad to, to Cool. It'll be, let, it'll be a lot str more streamable because <laughs> there'll be visuals <laughs> and audio together. Yeah, um, well, count us in. We'd be glad to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, cool, cool. Yeah, and, and that's, the, like you said, that's the thing is, like, you know, if you, like, there's a group of people that, you know, if they know that a company is, you know, kind of got their back because like you said, you know, there's not a whole lot right now in the mainstream market that is like, hey, we can play that too and we can join in the same conversation. I mean, that's where, again, it's, you know, things like YouTube videos and, you know, Mixer and Twitch streams can actually, you know, open it up because like I said, you get to enjoy, Riley gets to enjoy, you know, the and we, she, you know, we can talk about Left 4 Dead. We can talk about, you know, any of the games that people that I decide to play. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, having a company come in and be like, oh, yeah, we're going to make uh, accessibility to as many people as we can a core thing. There's going to be a lot more people, uh, especially loyal. Uh, you know, you, you get you bring those uh, fans in and 
you'll have a very loyal customer base. Yes. Yeah. Yep. You've got and, fan base for life that way. And ultimately, because I think it's the best story or best um, scenario possible, is even if the, the veil is, is it, let, let's hope it's successful and let's hope that it's it's successful within all the communities and that it's something like, oh, great, this is a, there's a financial case for, for me to make it another game with this kind of focus. But hey, other developers out there, you should you should consider doing this too but what ultimately is hopefully going to happen is that the the big players start looking at this and saying oh why in the world can't the witcher be accessible like there's Bingo. so much content yeah. like why and 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 then that will make like this this niche thing we've maybe helped start or be part of um, may not be as as a big a part of our our what our company does but I'll hopefully have been able to to start um, telling stories that people want to come back and hear more of. So regardless of the fact that everybody's now hopefully doing this, um, I, I will hopefully still have people looking to, to hear my voice or, or my company's voice and the way we tell stories. And, and we will still be around for that. I, I, I have no problem with, with the novelty of this going away. Uh, if it means that um, people can play Call of Duty and uh, and The Witcher and I don't know why I say Call of Duty, but I, I was, I'm always thinking of ways to make Call of Duty accessible for some crazy mm -hmm. reason. Actually, mainly because I read an article where where there was people talking about I want to play games with my friends um, and I Call of Duty. I'm kick my brother's butt in Call yeah, of Duty. And, and, and Call, of, <laughs> Call of Duty is what their friends are playing. But again, for me, I think the, the easier step is to is the narrative driven stuff. Is the yeah. sky is the. And there you know. is uh, there is a guy I forget which one it is. There is a guy who does try. He does like to play. Is it sightless player? Sightless combat? There's one guy that does play Call of Duty multiplayer. Believe it or not. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they get pretty sure. sophisticated. Like the three D, the spatialized audio in those games um are, are pretty good i mean you for most top players like um i hate to, well, Fortnite. my son plays it so i know i'm not about this but um <laughs> you pretty much have to play with the headset on because there's so many cues you get audio wise yeah. but i can see i don't play enough of those games to really understand how in the world you'd play it yeah. without visuals but and um that, and that's yeah. why we're looking at things like um you know uh you know we're kind of talking about it you know riley and i are thinking of different ideas and you know, there's been a series of things where, like, you know, it's called Access Unlocked, kind of a videos that I've been doing a little bit, need to do more of, but where basically I take a game that I really love or a game genre or a game concept and be like, what would it take? What are just brainstorming some ideas in case developers watch this? You know, what what could we do? How could we make this accessible to a blind player like we i just released one uh, a week or two ago for life adventures to green, games like life is strange mm, or yeah, the walking dead yeah uh, yeah but i mean even things like an open world like you said skyrim or the witcher the main thing is really a way to navigate because it's not just a flat world you know like a lot of accessible games it's like on a flat plane generally speaking where in a regular game you know you're going up and down stairs and you got hills and cliffs yeah. and catwalks and you know how do you convey that i mean that's one of the i think once we figure out a couple of ways to do some of that navigation a lot of the other stuff can just fall into play but yeah i mean a big thing i've had to think about is is what's the equivalent experience from um in, in visual to 
to, to audio based. And one thing, and you know, I think there's all sorts of different opinions that could come in and, and maybe push this out. There's a few people in the community that were looking for more navigation, open navigation in the world. And I mean, for, for my game, I'm just like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'll think, I want to think on this because it's something that if I feel there's an experience that's, I can bring that's, 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 has a value to the, the story or whatever that I want to consider. But my first thought is that I didn't really want to make a maze game. I didn't want to have a game where you're going down back alleys and streets and, and bumping into walls and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there are games, by the way, that do this with, with um, radar type navigation and it's you, the immersion gets, gets kind of trampled on a bit, but it gives Agreed. you a tremendous amount of choice in, in, in where you're going to go. And it's an offset, right? So for me, it's like, I wanted to put immersion ahead of that. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to warp you to combat. I'm going to um, have very simple um, navigate, navigable spaces that you can move around and you can hear very clear beacons. And I don't put anything sort of in your way you can't hear. And I kind of stage it this way as my first game, my first, crack at this Ooh. it's going to have that and for me the one thing i've learned from this is that at the very least with the binaural audio and the audio experience for me it's all about what's the novelty what's what makes this f interesting to me it's it's the it's immersion for one but it's detail and it's closeness so for me i feel like i want to I, I don't know that i want to be walking around big open spaces um because they kind of lack detail and they lack intimacy. Um, mm -hmm. Those those are spaces that do really well in in the big the visual games where you see a big sweeping beautiful inspiring vista in all the Skyrim and The Witcher and all these games and you take that in you take in this this big vista and I don't know that the equivalent of that in audio is that interesting. Um, it's just sort of a, a two, it's a soundscape it's, it could sound amazing but it's mm -hmm. wind and it's things for me it's like it's the it's the closed in space with the detail and a certain um uh what do you call it density of sound and and you're rewarded by being able to hear little details in that soundscape and Very for me point. that that's so it's just a different experience and i think that it starts to favor uh the sound experience um and again that's not to say that i i should go out of my way in future titles to figure out ways to give people the feeling of epic sweeping adventures across space. Um, but right now I'm really centering it on intimate moments is this being this game being a collection of intimate moments, ones where you feel uh, a connection to your characters um, and th that and it rewards people who are willing to listen for details in a soundscape. Mm -hmm. So that's Absolutely. my story. Exactly. exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because I mean, I seriously, when I first heard her uncle, I was like, I was at this point where seriously, I'm, I'm one of these, I was at the point where I was like, having these self-doubts about stuff, let's just put it that way, without okay. being too personal, and her uncle comes in, and it was like, he was speaking directly to me too, like, hey, just because you're blind don't mean basically you can't do stuff, mm -hmm. and I'm like, under my breath, I didn't say it on the stream, but I was thinking, thanks, dude, I needed that. Hmm. You know, because it was like, yeah. I felt a connection to him. And I was like, yeah, that that intimacy, that closeness, I mean, that was cool. Because there are times when, yeah, you know, like I've, like I've said before on this podcast, there are times where you have self-doubt about yourself. But don't yeah. let it eat you. Like, some people will let it just let up sink to the ground. You can't do that. 
Do you have time for me to ask you another question? Sure. <laughs> okay. Because uh, this is something that came up in the threads when I, I first started developing this game. Um, I, I, there's, I'm of two minds when it comes to representation um, of the main character. And um, I had a few people who, again, who are relatively new to games. Um, a, a person, by the way, who's provided voice for the game, an excellent actor by the name of uh, Ramia Muthan uh, here in Toronto. Or I'm not in Toronto, but I'm close to Toronto. She's in Toronto. And uh, she was just really happy to have a character that was visually impaired that she felt close to and represented her experience. And, and that meant something to her. Um, but she, had, she hasn't played a lot of audio games. And then there was a, quite a few people in the community that reached out and said, hey, um, we really like what you're doing. But know that a sighted developer telling the story of a visually impaired uh, character, it's a bit of a trope. Like, it just... Like, like it's it's this sort of thing like you, like people want to sort of do something interesting and novel for them, but just know that in the visually impaired community, we're quite used to this story. <laughs> like, there's a it's it's a bit of a trope, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool, and and they're just like, you know, make sure you get it right, make sure the character isn't overly de defined by their disability, make sure that they're well rounded outside of that, and these are all things I would, I'd hope I do anyway. But I it really made me think of first of all my follow up games. I'd love to make an RPG where you choose your character and, and blindness or sightedness can actually be a, a choice you make and it changes the way things play a bit, but a visually impaired uh, person could play a sighted character and a sighted person could play a blind character and that it would just would be an element it'd be an element of role playing. But I ended up in the situation where I'm like, yeah, I guess I walked into a trope. Um, and, but for me, um, because I started this idea is I just wanted to play, I wanted to think of a unique character and interesting experience this the fact that the character was blind was quite exciting to me and i guess my my question is is how um uh do you guys have any feelings or thoughts on on how uh if if there's a excitement or novelty that comes out of seeing seeing somebody closer to your experience in, in a game or or do you start seeing or is that potentially an impediment because you're always worried people are going to get it wrong or it won't resonate properly i'll let you answer it and then i i definitely have some thoughts too well there are ways, you know, there's a few games that do it, but see, here's the thing. A lot of the games that do it, The Veil is a very big exception to this rule because a lot of blind players, there are a lot of blind characters in mainstream games, but guess what? Mm -hmm. Blind people can't play it. That's right. my biggest problem. I think that the actress did a fantastic job as Alex. She's not, oh, pity me, I can't see. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. She don't do that. She's more. I like the the. I like her because she's she you know she's she's not playing the pity party on herself. She's not. Oh dear, here pity me. I'm gonna feel sorry for myself. No, she's more out there. She's more. I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna. I gotta get this done. I'm not gonna play. I'm not just gonna sit around and let things happen. I'm gonna just go and get this done. You know where, you know there's one in particular game where I didn't play it because it was, of course I can't play it, but. The character was walking so slow and so, and she, you know, just constantly walked so slow and was real timid, goes across the streets unsafely, you know, doesn't have a cane with her, nothing. Just goes mm -hmm. across the streets and, and, you know, she's not using a cane. The other one, of course, I love the game, but again, I can't play it. I'm hoping to get to play it one of these days. Hopefully he'll do it in a way that I can play it, but it's a game where... 
the character, she's spunky. She's outgoing, kind of like Alex. She kind of reminds me <laughs> a little bit of Alex. She's got a little spunk to her. Like, I'm not going to just mess around. I'm going to go get this. I got to get back there, whatever. She don't just wait around. She goes and she's, you know, spunky. And, but here's the thing. Again, I can't play her. I can't play the, the game itself. And she's basically doing all this stuff, but she does use a cane. Now she does use echolocation in that game, which mm-hmm. of course not a lot of us use, but I mean, sometimes we do, but you know, a lot of the blind characters, we can't play them. And the problem is too, uh, there's a few of them. There was one where there was one game in particular where the character was just talked like this. Oh, mm-hmm. I feel sorry for myself because this happened and blah, blah, blah. Oh, please. No, no. That's well, it not also, how we all talk. Yeah, it also sounds to me like, like uh, ideally, if you have more representation, you'll ha- also have more choice. Yeah. In yeah. that it's like, well, if you don't like that representation of, of, of something, well, maybe this one's more to your, to your liking. So I, I, I'm hoping that means that it's that it, it, it's it's good to continue to do this, even if it is a bit of a, a, a oh, trope sure. potentially for audio games. Sorry, what, was, oh, what yeah. were your thoughts? Oh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, and the game that she was talking about that she really liked um, is Perception. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Perception is a really cool... The thing that I... One of the things I liked about it, not just... I mean, yeah, it, it, I find it ironic that, you know, you're playing a blind character, yet a blind person can't play a Could blind play, character. Yeah. But, you know... She really didn't, other than the fact, I mean, she never really called attention to it. Yes, she was a blind character, but she's just like, hey, I'm going to this house. We're going to figure out this mystery. We're going to figure out, oh, we're going to talk to these ghosts and get chased in by these crazy things and find clues to whatever. I mean, it was just like you were playing another character that, you know, just so happened to be blind. Yeah. And um, like my thoughts, I guess, is there's a couple of ways I can look at it. Like, uh, you know. It's it's cool to have representation, you know, there's a lot of talk and, you know, we need more, uh, you know, LGBT, we need more of those characters in games, not just like the stereotype, or we need more, mm-hmm. you know, women lead characters, or we need more, uh, you know, African American uh, characters representation as game characters, so that people can play as themselves. You know, and same thing with, uh, you know, people with disabilities, you know, whether no matter what it is, if they're in a wheelchair, if they're blind or deaf or whatever. But at the same time, I think it would be cool. I love your idea of having just because it's an audio game doesn't mean it has to be about a blind person, because you think back to, you know, when, you know, I kind of come back to this example, when there wasn't a lot of TVs, did all radio shows dramas and stuff you know comedies and that. <laughs> were, 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 you know did just because they were on a radio and you couldn't see were they buying characters no yeah no so i mean you can still do you know like you could listen to a dramatized audiobook and i think if more people would kind of just wrap their head around like oh you, you don't have to be stuck in you know you're blind therefore audio or you're or it's audio therefore you're blind it, it, i love having a representation of being if you have an option to play a blind character or in a, in a game where there's choices or a game like the veil where you're just, yo, you're playing a blind character. This is who it is. Yeah. But having, but having that thing to say, yeah, you can do an audio game and you know, you can be this, uh, I don't know, a badass uh, detective or something that is sighted and does things. Just you're playing it in an audio way. And he can be yeah. really descriptive. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, the sighted person can be more descriptive because of course they can see what's going on. 
you know, maybe you get an internal monologue or something. And and it's interesting. I immediately saw both perspectives fairly clearly. One is, uh, I'm, I'm someone who's in media. This is Ramia's feeling is, is she's in media and she sees herself represented and she said, yes, this is, this is great. And it's a, it's a representation she, she likes too. If it wasn't one she liked, it might be problematic. Right. And then someone else is like, Hey, I'm I'm uh, I don't have access because I'm I'm completely blind. I don't have access to most video games. These are the ones I play over and over again. Why is it I'm always having to play a blind character? Is what this other person's essentially mm-hmm. saying. Why right. can't I play? Like, why does this keep happening to me? Right. So, and and from my perspective, it was like I I got excited about the novelty of of this character perspective. But again, as a setup, and I think maybe that's what's important, and hopefully why this game will be okay with that with that person <laughs> is that um, you should forget that Alex is blind pretty quickly. Um, it's the, it's basically the end to the scenario of, of why there's no visuals. It, it, it contextualizes that. Uh, and then it's, it's seldom brought up too much. Um, mm-hmm. She's, she develops her own personality and story mm-hmm. arc pretty much independently of, of that. So um, hopefully again, as a role-playing element of role-playing um, you're able to forget that part um, pretty pretty quickly if it's not something that's important to you. And then again, as as most RPG, at least the RPGs I like, I am looking ahead to to a game where I, I'd really like to create a character. I think in in that scenario, and then potentially, <laughs> I mean, this is too meta, but I I love the idea of if I had a sighted character, I would have all the visuals in the game, so it'd be a visual game. If someone was visually impaired. They could still play it. All the audio cues would allow them to play the game to the, to the fullest. They wouldn't be hampered in any way. But if you decided to play a blind character in certain scenarios, you'd lose all the visuals of the game. You'd, you'd, oh, you'd be playing. You'd be nice. playing if it was first person potentially. Like you would. It would be. I want to totally embody that role playing experience. So you would play the game with with that. Um, and, and again, that might be a little too meta, but it's it's something yeah. I'm like. What would what would people think of that um, if I took the visuals away? That'd be <laughs> unique. Played a character, That'd be unique. or potentially because do. People I'm, always try to represent it visually, Dave. They they don't yeah. do it without visual. Yeah, and to so that they token, try to represent blindness as visual, and it's like, uh, dude, yeah, it like it doesn't in a always perception. work that way. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and 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 to that token, I could I could even take it further and say you could play a deaf character, and I'd take it with the sound or something, and um, oh. at, the very, at the very least, do it in scenarios where people could could be could think about that experience and and think about okay, now how do I have to play this game? How do I have to interact with with the world? Um, so you get those little alignments with perspective, um, but then mm-hmm. very likely because I'm going to want to to have be you know people who who um. Uh, who are playing and can hear, let's say, um, I, I'd still want them to have, the, you know, like music come in for emotional scoring and, yeah. and, and emotional points and, and stuff like that. So I, I'd probably or do even, a slight of hand in how I did that. but Right, or, or even, like I said myself, like it, it, would be, it would be really curious to play a deaf character, but if I couldn't hear the people talking as a blind or low vision person, I would still need either audio or text-to-speech in yeah. some ways so that I could hear the dialogue if I couldn't read the sign language. Yeah, and that would, that would be, or... I mean, the, the starting point, the next point might be a game that, that lit, both those communities could play. Um, so that would be the, the, the first crossover bit. Um, but ultimately, it would be, yeah, well, is, there, is there a way or, or is there a desire, I guess, for, for people um, to, to go that far as to 
to to try to understand like when you're completely reliant on on visuals let's say um because you you're deaf um what does it mean to you to to uh lose that um and, and not have audio like i i don't know i mean there, there are obviously still other things out there haptic feedback or whatever i just don't know if that's uh yeah that's a that's an open question to whether or not that's an experience that people are would would be interesting or if it would be kind of a one-off-ish sort of like hmm. hey try this out think about this sort of sort of moment mm-hmm. um but anyway i i uh yeah. i i feel like the having accessibility baked into as much of what you do um is is going to just bring more people to what you do and then you're going to mm-hmm. learn learn from their experiences and they'll, they'll probably tell me uh what what they like and i'll i'll uh you know, uh, I, I, I'm still, ma- I'm, you know, I don't make these games just for myself, right? So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be taking a, a, a cue from from the communities that. And that's that find a great mindset like to game. have. That is a great mindset to have. So this is these these are the types of developers we need, is people that have a mindset like this because, I mean, a lot of them don't. You know, uh, there's a lot that we have to work through, and it's getting there slowly. Mm-hmm. And it's great to have a developer. At least we know of four so far big time that are mainstream and stuff that are doing stuff like that, that are having that in mind. Yeah. And it's great. And it's, it's getting talked about. There's, there's bigger players that are talking about it. Um, and I think, I think maybe the, uh, and I actually, I have another, I don't know how much time we have. Can I ask another question? Sure. Go for it. Okay. Um, this is something that, uh, that, that came up recently um, where I, I feel like uh, some developers, um, or, or anybody who's putting out something in, in, into the public sphere, um, you, you want to get it right. You don't want to kind of go out and kind of stumble out of the blocks, right? Um, and w- which keeps a lot of people from taking risks or trying, right? So I'm, I'm kind of openly kind of getting out there and I have enough confidence. I feel like I'm probably going to do okay in this space and and we'll see. But I, I'm, I'm prepared to take my lumps and, and learn from, from what I'm doing. Um, but I remember, um, what was it? It was uh, EA Sports when they were um, their top requested feature for six years in a row was to have women in it represented in FIFA in in the soccer, and they held off for six years where it was still the number one asked asked thing. They, they knew this could be financially good for them, and mm-hmm. it was good for PR. It was good for all sorts of reasons. And the reason they held off for six years is because they said they wanted to get it right. Now I was kind of like not rolling my eyes. I'm like, okay guys, like, you know, I'm sure you could do this if you really wanted to. Uh, when they did do it though, they really did it right. Like they went out with machines and 3d captured every female characters or a person's face. They changed the way the rigging worked. They, they made sure they really got the women's game and the women characters. They got it right. So they didn't look like kind of weird, cheap Frankenstein men or something like <laughs> you can just picture how badly that could have gone. Oh, right? oh yeah. So, so, it, you know, you could say like, Jesus, you probably could have done that quicker, but you did do it right. And maybe there's, there's something to that. So um, the one that maybe the question and I've, the feedback I've gotten, at least from, from Martin um, again, who's my main consultant on this is he looks at games and sees so many ways, little things that could be headed to games to make them way more playable for him. Oh yeah. Because, 
Because yeah. he plays games with his wife, who's sighted. So, you know, there's just even ways you play games. Like, so a developer might say, oh, gosh, my game. There's, no, there's nothing I can do with my game to make, it, to make it accessible to the visually impaired community. But you're not thinking about your game potentially being played with a sighted person and a, and a blind person together. This is the Call of Duty argument. It's like, yeah, gosh, yeah. you could probably have a fire team in Call of Duty where one person's sighted and runs around and is leading the other person to cover. And the other person's kind of the second man on a fire team, which is basically following this person and shooting at targets or whatever like so yeah. there's ways of co-pilot uh, or co-piloting yeah there's so there's there's experiences that rely on you don't know exactly um where people are going to find how people are going to find a way to play your game too like again people do speed runs of zelda because there was there's sound cues and they were able to do it so when somebody like martin says hey if you put like a little sound at the end of a ledge in the lego games i think was he was complaining about he goes my wife can tell me kind of where we're going and she can kind of help me through things, but I can at least have a little more independence and how I'm not going to fall off stuff. Um, and that kind of made me think like, yeah, like if you just, again, best practices started thinking about these things, maybe I get, I totally get the, the fear of putting something out there where you, you, you start to, people start to say it's accessible and then they realize it's not accessible as much as they want it or something. But I'm wondering if, if I, I, I just rambled here, but because it, it was a question is whether or not you see that these incremental things have, have value, or if you do see it as like, no, get it right out of the gate. Well, here's the thing. Um, I absolutely, I'm in the camp that would say, I absolutely do appreciate you know, if something, I mean, ultimately, sure, I would love for something to be like awesome and to be, you know, I don't, I don't want to say perfect, but like, you know, something that's really accessible and, you know, getting it right. Sure, that's ultimately what we're shooting for. But like you said, the little things, you know, there's little touches that can just, you know, be really, really helpful. And like, even though it might not be perfect or um, there's just things that can help accessibility. And, you know, to me, Anything that gets us partly, partly there, you know, I mean, other, like you said earlier, people, other developers can kind of catch and catch on and go, oh, well, if we just did this, well, then, you know, at least maybe a totally blind person couldn't play, but a low vision person could, or yeah. a blind person could play uh, with a, a little bit more assistance. But like you said, they could be a little bit more independent. And I've, I've ran into a lot of different types of uh, people in the blindness uh, communities. Um, you know, some will say, oh, no, I'm not playing this game until it's 100% accessible. Mm. This, you know, this works, but this doesn't and this doesn't, so I'm not going to even touch it. But, you know, like I said, it's this thing that everyone is still trying to figure out. And, you know, like you, you can't make any progress if people don't play it. And so. And help. They've got to right. assist in, an, in, a, yep. in a kind way instead of. Just, oh, well, it's not going to work. Blah, blah, blah. This sucks. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. There's kind of, I mean, I really hate to say this, but just kind of a little bit of a warning. Like I said, you get a lot of great people, but there's, there's a lot there's of, a few there's that a lot aren't. of toxic, just kind of, there's some kind of toxic uh, feedback and talking in the blindness community yeah. in some areas. you got to be just, careful there. I mean, there are a lot of good ones. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But there are a lot of them who are very toxic. I mean, I've even had it on Twitter a few times where, for example, when I started A4G, I had somebody, I shared it on Twitter one day. Now, mind you, Dave, I only have light perception. So all I see is light and dark. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say there was different lighting in the veil, for example. Like, let's say you were playing with the lighting. 
just yeah. making this up. Yep. If you were messing with the lighting and Alex, there was something Alex, you know, like was looking at or something and it got brighter. I could see that. Hmm. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there. I can't see cover art. And this low vision person was like, well, you know, it's awfully iron irony. There's a lot of irony that this is a podcast about accessibility, but the cover art isn't accessible for somebody like myself. It's cover art. It's not wording. It's not anything else. But the cover art was being complained about. Mm -hmm. Somebody who can't see the cover art. I didn't even know what it looked like. Right. And I'm like, dude, okay. Now, mind you, at the time, I did not really know Jesse. So I had to risk that Jesse was a decent person and give him the account, username, and password to go in and change it for somebody who's low vision because I can't. Yeah. And I mean, so you've got to be careful. That, I mean, like I said, there are a lot of great people in the blindness community. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of good ones. But you got to be careful, too, because there are some that, I mean, oof. Well, there it's have funny. been times where it's bad. Yeah, because online online communities in general across the board are not always amazing. No. Yeah, um, I just bad. just <laughs> just personally, anecdotally, um, at least on all audio like audiogames.net forums, they've been so like, it's the most it's the least toxic, most positive forum I have ever been part of. And and people are people are critical of stuff. Like they're they're giving me information, but they're managing it. Um people are like if somebody sort of is a little bit harsh on something, a lot of people kind of come in and very nicely kind of like talk them back. I just I I can't say enough about how great the experience has been working with this community. So my experiences have been good, but I also don't I'm I'm not I'm not super active in social media and just you know in, in putting out games in the past I've just I've just seen a lot of toxicity when you put out a game oh, yeah. I mean just mm -hmm. it's oh, just yeah. there and I'm like this this one has been it's been an absolute pleasure to just work with this community um just because there seems to be a lot of goodwill um mm -hmm. and 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 you know what again they're not they they really aren't I, I like that they're not afraid to sort of call me out on things and say stuff but I just think it's been super respectful. So my experience oh, yeah. has been really good. And like like I said earlier too, is like you know, the, the people that do follow your game, the the people that are genuinely interested, you are know, going to be that. They're way. going to be you know because like I said, you don't have you know especially totally blind players. They don't have, you know we don't have a lot of games to choose from. So yeah. if a developer comes in and goes, hey, we're going to make this. Yeah. you know, pretty deep experience and, you know, and it doesn't have to be horror. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's such well, so, what an obvious thing to do too, though. It's like, of course that's frightening. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a blind, scary thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll get a lot of, uh, like I said, the, a lot of loyal fans, I think. So especially like, when something's different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What, what platforms are you aiming for? For this? Uh, well, uh, the, yeah, the plan the plan is um, and the funding anyway is for PC. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to be re releasing on uh, itch.io and Steam. Um, and again, if you have any comments on that, let me know. But um, I I have uh, I was told right away Steam sucks for accessibility. Yes. Um, and so they said, <laughs> yeah. "What are you going to? How, how am I going to get this game? Because it's not going to be Steam." And GOG I was originally might be another good one too. What's which which that? What's good that? old GOG, games? GOG. Game, yeah. Okay. Okay. No. Cool. Um, yep. I, I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm basically going to look into everything, but right now we are, have my, I have pages set up on these two platforms. Um, itch, Ooh. um, itch was set, said to be really good. And then Martin Cassells went and he said, Oh my God, it was great. And he, he went and got a bunch of games from, from itch. So 
his and again, if you have any thought that th- thoughts on itch or any counter comments, but he thought it was good. Um, yeah, it it's just one of those things I've been meaning to really check out. I know there's just tons more stuff, but I only have so many hours in the day. And <laughs> I have, yep. You know, I mean, I've done a lot of my stuff because I'm low vision. Like I just kind of fight with the, you know, I just do it with the low vision. But you know, I don't use a screen reader with it because yeah, Steam is kind of bad overall. Yeah. Like right now, reader. I'm struggling with something on there, and it's like. But I mean, yeah, I mean, Steam, um, GOG, itch.io. Um, and like I said, if you're ever looking at, you know, if you're ever looking at like a mobile uh, release of some kind or something, you know, mm-hmm. the Apple Viz community is really good okay. uh, for iOS and things like that. And, you know, they do have, I, I was going to mention it earlier when you were talking about um, uh, like meeting with people and everything. I don't know. Were you aware there is a game accessibility conference now? It's uh, GA Conf. Oh, okay. And I know Control. It. Oh, sorry, Control Alt's the one that I think about, um, which is I think a lot of different things. But uh, or Alt Control, what the heck's one? You, you know, you know uh, what I'm talking about. Checking the GDC. I, I don't remember. I'm not sure of that one. I know well. Last, like this year, um, they had. This year is the third year that they've done the Game Accessibility Conference, and it was right adjacent to GDC. I actually got to speak there as a panelist uh, earlier this year. And then in October, they had one in Europe, um, and they're switching it up next year. They're going to Seattle uh, going, in September. It's, it's not going to be around the Game Developers Conference. My suspicion is, I don't know if we have dates of it yet, but uh, they say September I'm wondering if it's going to come right around PAX, mm-hmm. maybe. Because it's in Seattle. Because the original thought, yeah, it's in Seattle in 2020. And, you know, the original thought was, hey, well, if they have the Game Developers Conference right here, you know, they, uh, there is this um, the, the childhood or child, uh, what is it, Child Creativity Museum was right next door. And so they had, like, this auditorium. It's like, hey, if we can get developers to come in that first, that Monday starting GDC week. Yeah, you know you've already got a like-minded group of people there. Like if we can get even some of them to kind of pay attention, these were, you know, all sessions on different aspects of game accessibility. And uh, if you look up the Game Accessibility Conference or GA Conf, yep, they have their own YouTube channel where all of the sessions. Igdegasic is what's the name of the. Yeah, it's part of IGDA. I can send it to you if you want me to. I can email. Oh yeah, it. yeah. I'm yeah. somewhat aware of this, but yeah, this is something again, head down, making a game. I forget oh, yeah. stuff. So no, thank oh, you. Sure. Please, sure, please no. send, please send it to me. Absolutely. We, yeah, we can. Oh, but, and you're uh, saying plat- platforms, by the way. Um, uh, yeah, mobile is an obvious place to go because it's a lot of people have mobile devices and it's a game that doesn't have a ton of like, uh, like hardware needs. Um, mm-hmm. And it's maybe you could play it while you're in bed with your eyes closed. It might be nice. Um, and, uh, so that's another, again, this is looking probably after the, 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 uh, PC release, but, but not impossibly, uh, uh, you know, de- I have to delay the release probably for certainly mobile, but the other possibility mm-hmm. is VR. Um, yes! be quite a bit of interest in this game. I, have, I just, every, so many people play it. What's that? I have a rift and I have a quest. Bring it. Okay, cool. Because, uh, <laughs> that, that's, that was a. It always surprises me how many people, first of all, they think, because it is a weird thing to say, but they think maybe they're the first person that said, have you thought about VR? And I'm like, everybody says this, but it's <laughs> it's it's really because of 
the um, the fact that it'd be so intuitive to play this game where with uh, head tracking where you can kind of turn. You, you would never really not be able to hear where things are if you're able to turn your head a little bit. There's that right. subconscious ability to navigate. And then obviously the swinging of swords and stuff. That right, exactly. Swinging well. to the left or like your, your right hand, you could swing in either direction or you could block, you could hold your left hand up for a shield or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're, Touch we're currently... We're part of a, um, an Oculus program right now, sort of getting things. We're just basically trying to feel it out as to how this would go. And it probably does um, bank on the success of, of this this being at least somewhat mm-hmm. supported on PC. But I, it, it's it's possible. We'll, we'll see in the next um, little while, especially, as, especially if uh, um, stakeholders come forward and say, hey, we want this. We want this definitely to be part of our our." Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do and, and, and potentially as a, a it's, it's a problem, I mean, this isn't cynical, but it's potentially a PR opportunity for them. Um, and I think Mike, Microsoft is in the past, put their money where their mouth is and, and talked about accessibility. And then they came out with a, with a accessible control pad. And they, so there's, there's things mm-hmm. I see that they're doing that gives me hope. Oh, um, absolutely. There's a, there's a, um, there's like a seven minute video and I can, we can, again, we'll have to send you an email with some links and stuff, but there's a there's a project from Microsoft called Seeing VR that I want so desperately because it does all these cool things and they're working with Unity right now. Yeah. Um, and it's just like I, I, it's too much to explain here right now, but it's just it, it's I saw that video. I'm like, oh, I want this yesterday. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're totally like I said, you go that route. We're totally here to help you out, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that, consulting or testing or whatever, we're uh, we're good. No, that's awesome. Yep. I, the fact that you have have a Rift and a Quest, those are two of the um, the, the Rift. For some reason, the Oculus really is pushing Rift and not so much Quest um, because some some weird positioning things where they really want the Quest to be for uh, very like for gamers that are used to. Um, games being easy and awesome so they want projects yeah. projects that will really show off how good it can look even though the the actual hardware is not as good but it's the idea of being well, untethered which which makes them the uh, that's the thing is the untethered thing is really nice especially like if it's a self-contained thing there are some issues we can talk about later as far as like you know the, the problem is with the problem with vr mainly is getting to the ui to even get to the game because the oculus dashboard in the headset itself sucks for accessibility oh, okay i said it but there's you know there's kind of ways that around it that i do for the yeah, rift see. and kind of the quest and things like that but i sometime in november here i don't know if it's out or if it's going to be out you're supposed to basically they're releasing a patch to where you can use the quest by itself but they're supposed to add this thing where you basically just hook the USB-C cable up to your let's say you wanted to play rift games you're supposed to be able to connect your quest to the computer hmm. and it'll basically work as a rift s okay it has the same in because it, it has the same inside out tracking or the the cameras that the quest that the rift and the quest yeah. does. the, so the s does the worlds, quest maybe so you can kind of almost use a quest to pull off some of the rift s stuff but i don't know how like i haven't seen or heard that in practice to know how good that aspect is if they've implemented it well well, it's uh, it's funny. I have, I think I've made a. We have a build uh, that we that uh, utilizes head tracking just just to try it out. Um, maybe, cool. maybe I'll maybe I'll send you one. Let, uh, oh yeah, you can you can tell me know what you think uh, of that. But uh, the real work is going to come down to the gesture based combat, which which is expensive to to do. So that's the 
that's where we'd have to um, make a big decision as to whether or not we wanted to, to support that. And I guess mm -hmm. I, I also don't want a game that kind of doesn't work that well on a platform. But again, the head tracking alone is is a real reason to consider it. Yeah, and um, there are games there are games that do support you know touch you know you could do Oculus Touch, but you could play with your ex traditional Xbox controls, but still be in VR yeah. too. The, the other thing too is is because um, none of the visuals are required. Uh, the the Bose uh, head tracking uh, headset too could potentially be a place where if if you're playing mobile. You, you could potentially use that. I don't know how familiar you are with the Bose headset, the new one they have. Which one? Uh, it's, there's a, a new headset Bose has where it has head tracking. So when you turn your head, if you have a soundscape that's been put into the head, it'll 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 move around as you move oh, your head. Really? So essentially, you could play the game on a. If I had a mobile version of the game with some swiping controls or something, um, rather than. Um, Phys I guess I guess technically you might be able to do something where you turn on the spot. I think there was a game I I played once called Blindside on mobile. Yes, that's where you what would... I'm talking about. That's what oh, I'm okay. talking about. Yep, where you could turn you could turn on. The, yeah, it, it did. Um, whatever the I think it was the gyroscopic the gyroscope. Controls. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was. I think that's what it was playing off of. But it slurred a bit. It wasn't. Uh, basically, yeah. Bose now has a headset that does this, but uh, apparently a lot better. So it essentially is an audio VR system, um, is what they're they're oh. hoping it'll be. So that's another. I mean, obviously, this game on mobile with that headset, and you're turning your head and hearing the world around you. You know, like is if it's in the room with you. That that could also be something that's interesting. So I mean, there's all sorts of these little niche little sort of applications, which I'll I'll probably entertain. Um, at some point down the road, just almost out of my own interest to see if it's kind of cool or fun, right? So do you have a tentative release date for the Veil? Yeah, what, what am I saying? I'm saying early next year. Um, I, I think I had video. I couldn't destroy all the tapes. No, I, I had video <laughs> that said August of, of 2019. It was the most ambitious number, and I stuck it on a – on a video at one point um and then really regretted <laughs> that um so yeah rule you know just a general rule don't ever put a date on a video yeah uh, unless you know you're you're gonna release i did it way too early but anyway um, valve mantra when it's done yeah that's that's a bit I, I've, I've been saying uh well it's two, 2000 uh, it's 2020 hopefully early i i don't see a, a huge problem to that other than other opportunities um, if, if Microsoft or, or if, um, if it was to potentially go to a console or go to Oculus and, and would they want me to release it at the same time as, as a, a standard PC version or something, mm -hmm. that would be the issue. So the standard PC version, uh, should, should be out. I, I think around March is my hope, but man, Yay! that's yeah, birthday that's, present for me. <laughs> hey, man, now, is, now I got more pressure be, on me. Like March is going to be brutal, man. If that yeah. comes out, we got we got this other little game <clears throat> that got delayed. <clears throat> yeah, uh, a little thing called Doom Eternal. That yeah, I desperately yeah. wanted to play. Yeah, and actually, the, the the only problem with March is is that it's just March um, and, yeah. and the shows and stuff. So uh, I think I think uh, uh, my PR company would love it to be February. And uh, but we'll we'll see. It might even get delayed for those reasons too. Um, it might mm -hmm. be like, oh, it's better to to bring it out in May or something. I don't know. But we'll we'll uh, sure. Um, the general idea is, I, I would I certainly it'll be ready to go first first half of of okay. next year. And um, uh, yep. 
that's as committed as I am to a date, I guess. No, that's all oh, right. Oh, that's good. It's, that's all right. That's more of a date than uh, some other games give us. Where it's like, they're torturing us. It's like, please yeah. give us just a tentative thing. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, mind you, if you've been following the game two years ago, there would have been a bit of that where I, I thought it was, again, going to be out uh, it summer this past year. Yeah. So. Well, development happens, though. Yeah, it's, it it's does. It's hard to make a game, and that's what people don't realize. It's, yeah. It's, 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 it's tough. Yeah. It is. It's difficult. Well, where can people find you on social media? Um, oh, yeah. I, I guess Falling Squirrel, the name of my company. So, at Falling Squirrel is my, our Twitter handle. Um, I think Falling Squirrel is our Facebook um, moniker. I don't even know what the heck. I, I'm so – I'm old. I'm old. Uh, <laughs> I don't do Facebook and, either. I'm with you, man. Yeah. Here you. Here you and, uh, yeah, fallingsquirrel.com uh, <laughs> is our website. Actually, uh, everything – Everything branches up from the website, and uh, I don't have a veil specific. I have a veil specific page connected to the Falling Squirrel website, so you can navigate from there. But it's just basically Falling Squirrel uh, dash veil or the veil, the veil probably. Um, so, uh, and we have a actually most importantly, we uh, on the veil part of our Falling Squirrel page, we've got a um, a newsletter. We don't spam people with anything. We just let you know when there's new demos uh, or a, a launch date. <laughs> That's what that's going to be for. <laughs> so they can they can sign up and and try the game. And it's good if you have not checked it out. It is awesome. We both have seen it. We both love it. Yep. Can't wait for it. I am psyched. Like Back. I said, I'm looking forward to it because one, blind protagonist. Two, something more than freaking horror. It's like God. Thank yep. God. I mean, don't get me wrong. He got me started on horror games. We won't even go there. But. <laughs> Still, Dreadalls. Have you played that in VR? No. Are you asking me? Yeah. Oh God, no. I, I get I get nauseous and I I I'm terrified of most things. So yeah. Oh, oh no. man, so Dreadhalls is awesome. Okay. Dreadhalls <laughs> is amazing. It's it, simple, but it's really good. At what really it does. effective. Really effective. I play Beat Saber. That's that's about as crazy as I got. <laughs> oh, John Carmack was obsessed with that game. Yeah. When on his Oculus keynote, he loved that. But anyway, you guys can follow me on Twitter at access the number four gamers. You can follow me on Mixer at Riley Doom Crazy. Also, you can find us at the A4G podcast. And if you do not have it on the platform you want, please, please let them know because we only have four other platforms besides Anchor. So please let people know so that they can access it if they want to find it please let them know so that you guys can use it because we're not on some of the majors yet we're supposed to be but we're not yet so please let people know if it's not on your particular platform let them know mm-hmm. jesse yeah well you can follow me all kinds of different places as well <laughs> um primary one would probably be the youtube channel youtube.com slash illegally cited there's lots of uh mainstream and accessible games and access unlocked and vr accessibility all kinds of fun stuff there you can also follow me on twitter at bgfh79 mixer.com slash bgfh and illegally cited.com is where you'll basically find it's a very very simple website that i just threw together but it's basically got all of my kind of projects and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much where you can find me these days. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this long-gated show today with Dave. 
Thanks for coming on, Dave. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was a blast. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. a lot of fun. Uh, this was great. Thank you. It was awesome. And if you want to come on before the veil launches, contact me, please, because we'd love to have you on right before it launches. That'd be awesome. Yeah, no, for sure. Thank you. Alrighty, so we will chat with you guys in a little bit later here. Right.